the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. I'm with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Fine. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomfine.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in. I'm thrilled to be joined by Cheyenne Hunt. Cheyenne is a policy advocate and attorney specializing in progressive activism, legislative advocacy, communications, and democracy-focused tech policy. Uh, she has, uh, she's based in Washington, D.C., and she currently serves as a big tech accountability advocate with Public Citizen, certainly a very, very important topic indeed. I know, uh, Cheyenne, you recently, uh, you recently published Gen Z-nomics, 10 Gen Z Beliefs and Behaviors During the Global Economy, which is a very important and timely topic. Cheyenne, welcome to the program. Hi, great to be here. It's great to have you. What an important topic. I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone before we sort of dive into Gen Z-nomics. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in this topic. Yeah, you know, I was raised by my single mother and her single mother, uh, descendant of Syrian immigrants and refugees. And so I thought a lot about the economy growing up because it impacted everything we did in life and very much, you know, was a strong influence on all the opportunities that we had to pursue and what was available. And both of my, uh, both my mom and my grandmother were both business owners and entrepreneurs who, you know, really were able to redefine what the American dream could mean for single women in this country. And we're just incredibly inspiring. And, you know, I think a lot about them when I think about what the future of the economy and American dreams can look like. So that's really kind of where I came to this work from and, and becoming a policy advocate. And now in my in my current endeavors running for Congress in Orange County, California's 45th district, where I've lived for quite a while, you know, it's embodying these ideas and, and bringing them to the forefront is key. Absolutely. So I want to dive into a couple of things that you have written about recently. Again, the uh, title of the of the piece is Gen Zenomics, 10 Gen Z Beliefs and Behaviors uh, Driving the Global Economy, which we'll post in the show notes as well. But Cheyenne, you talk about a couple of really, really interesting things that I know all of our listeners are fascinating and uh, fascinated by. Let's talk a little bit about AI, artificial intelligence. Everybody, it seems like, is talking about chat GPT and, and how that's changing the world of education, how it's changing healthcare, transportation. What are the what do we need to know um, in the uh, small business community about AI and, and its future in the upcoming years? There's a lot to know, that's for sure. And I just published a report actually with my colleague Rick Claypool over at Public Citizen, a whole report about 
the universe of generative AI technologies like chat GPT. So you can check that out when you if you want a broader, more scientific kind of overview of what these things look like and how they play into the broader sphere of public policy. But generally for small business owners and the average person alike, what I would say is these are incredibly uh, you know, innovative, game-changing tools that have just come onto the forefront. It seems like out of nowhere. It's not. They've been in development for a long time, but they're all hitting the market all at once. And everything everywhere all at once, right? That's what's happening with AI. And I really think, you know, there's incredible potential here, especially when it comes to copywriting and being able to uh, mass-produce sales material, really effective sales material, things that are formulaic in their structure. And this is a a huge thing that small business owners should absolutely be taking advantage of. But I would also just remind everybody to be mindful that these technologies are brand new. They're in development. There are very serious concerns about the privacy risks that they may pose when it comes to mining your personal data. And we should all be aware that these technologies are still widely unregulated. And so I would suggest that you do engage with them, but do it really mindfully. Interesting. Um, That's great advice. Again, I'm chatting with Cheyenne Hunt. Uh, We've been chatting about some of the areas around AI that certainly the small business community needs to know. And this really, regardless of where you are, it's definitely something my big takeaway from this is definitely something we need to be following because it is going to change our lives. But I want to talk more broadly about sort of trends in terms of just uh, personal finance and, and some things because you are the expert as it relates to Gen Z or Gen Zenomics. You talk in your piece a little bit about retirement, about home ownership, and uh, about budgeting, but more broadly about let's talk about entrepreneurship because I think what we've seen in the in the world of the pandemic and COVID is a lot of folks are less interested in in that typical corporate job that may make more money and people are more focused on some other priorities. Cheyenne, what are those priorities? What, again, should employers, should small business owners, what should we be paying attention to and tracking? Yeah, especially with Gen Z and young people in the workforce right now, there are things that are non-monetary compensation that are serious contenders when it comes to us prioritizing the career fields that we're going to pursue and the projects we're going to take up. So if you're looking to recruit a really competitive younger workforce and to retain them over time, you have to be tuned into these things. Obviously, a living wage and competitive compensation is always going to be at the top of the list. But right near the top of that list for the rest of us truly is quality of life. And those there's a whole basket of things that fall into quality of life because work is part of your life. So whether that is uh, a positive work environment that involves open communication and, and leaves people feeling like they know where they stand and they don't have that kind of workplace anxiety, whether it's, you know, uh, flexible schedules, the four day work week, working four 10 hour shifts, offering these options or in general, allowing people to kind of take leave as they need. It could also just be offering remote work. We all got a taste during the pandemic of what freedom and work can really look like. And for the most part, studies have shown that workers remain just as, if not more productive with that freedom. And so asking people to give it up for no additional compensation is a big ask. And a lot of people aren't willing to make that trade. Indeed. Uh, Cheyenne, I know you're a progressive advocate and attorney specializing in progressive activism legislative advocacy, communications, and democracy-focused tech policy. And now you are a big tech accountability advocate with Public Citizen. What does that mean? What what are you paying attention to these days as it relates to accountability and big tech? This seems like something that's 
we're frequently seeing in congressional hearings and something that everybody's talking about. But for our listeners that may have been living in a cave, what do they need to know? Yeah, and these issues are very uh, instrumental in my decision to step up and actually run for Congress right now as well, because I believe that these are issues that are very integral to our time and will define the next probably decade of how we interact with each other socially and the fate of our businesses and our democracy, our economy, whether we remain competitive on a global scale. And we need representation in Congress who actually understand how these technologies work. So there's there's a lot in this basket. Regulating and understanding AI without stopping the innovation in that field is a key piece. I would also say, you know, in my work, I think a lot about data privacy. And we heard a lot about, you know, TikTok when it comes to maybe the Chinese Communist Party collecting data, which is absolutely a concern. But at the same time, every single website, for the most part, that you visit, all of the social media apps that we utilize are using, collecting and abusing our data. And that's a problem. And we are one of the only leading nations that has virtually no uh, legislation on this topic to protect our data and protect our children online. So these are all things that are top of mind for me. And then, you know, you can get into the nitty gritty of the fact that a lot of these apps are designed to with algorithms that promote divisive, hateful and, uh, you know, democracy disrupting content, things that are designed to pull us apart. And that's a problem. And being able to actually understand how these algorithms work and regulate them for the public safety is key for me as well. Cheyenne, we've been talking a lot about what, um, again, the the world needs to know about Gen Z. Um, and for our remaining minute, I want you to talk directly to Gen Z, the, you know, the, the Gen Z entrepreneurs that are tuning in. And indeed, we hear from them all the time. What advice or takeaways or homework assignments do you have for, uh, for those in Gen Z that are, you know, getting started in their own entrepreneurial ventures? What are some of the things that you want them to take away from this conversation? First, I would just say welcome to the great American tradition, you know, going out on your own, starting your own business and, and taking that leap and that jump is a fundamental, uh, you know, tradition in the American society. And it's an incredible rite of passage. And I wish you all the luck in the world. But I would also say, you know, we are all feeling right now the broader economic economic trends that are stacked against us in this generation. The likelihood that we will ever be able to own a home, given the astronomical house prices and the the, the debt that we carry around, is is it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. The likelihood that we will never become homeowners and the likelihood that we will struggle economically more so than our parents did. And so I would say, don't feel like it's something that's wrong with you. The deck is stacked against us right now. And we have to come together in collective action to actually advocate for an economy that works the way it's supposed to, that works for us, working people, working small businesses, entrepreneurs, and gives us a chance to make it. So I would suggest that we all come together and take that stand. Mm -hmm. Well, Shannon, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a lot and I know we're going to have you back on. But Shannon, in the meantime, how can we get in touch with you so we can continue to follow your, your, your works, your writings, and your continued research on this topic? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at CheyenneHunt.com and on TikTok and uh, Twitter, social media generally. My handles are CheyenneHuntCA, CheyenneHuntCA for California. Fantastic. Shan Hunt, thank you so much for sharing your expertise on Gen Zenomics with us. We'll start to link to your writings in our show notes. Um, indeed, and as always, get on my website, shalomcloud.com. That's where you can download the past 10 plus years of shows all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. So you get small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We've got a lot more in store. So don't touch that bell. We'll be right back. We 
are back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And I've got a treat in store for you. I'm joined by the co-founder and CEO of Agile Rainmakers. I am back business development consulting and advisory firm based in Chicago's Gold Coast. And that's Robert Corey. Robert says, has had a 20 plus year career in the financial industry. I've seen him in many, many roles. But uh, today we're going to talk all about supporting college students and recent graduates in making career and life choices. Robert Corey, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, I know you've had quite an impressive career in uh, in uh, many financial service industries, um, but you've also been fortunate to hire and mentor many interns over the year. Robert, tell us a little bit about your story and how it led to actually writing a book, How to Intern Successful. Why are you so passionate about this topic? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm a member of the Princeton Club of Chicago, and for over a decade, we've hosted a summer intern luncheon, and uh, that would happen in December, where we would invite current Princeton students to Chicago who are interested in interning in Chicago that summer, and we'd also invite alumni and parents who had ideas for or contacts or opportunities and summer internships. So we did that luncheon for about 10 years. And at one point, I realized I should hire an intern. And as I was starting Agile Rainmakers, I, I hired one. And I was absolutely blown away. Um, this uh, sophomore uh, could do anything and everything very quickly and was bringing fresh eyes and really strong technical skills as a digital native and really opened my eyes to what's possible with an intern. And so I thought, you know, next year I should really take this to another level because he provided some feedback that was extremely useful. And rather than push that feedback away, I absorbed it and said, all right, how do I incorporate what he's sharing with me with what I could design? So the next year I designed the internship. I took the whole month of May and just sat and figured out how I could do a really great internship program. And um, had I hired three interns that summer and uh, did a lot of client project work with the interns. They loved it. And I decided, you know what, this is something really good that could make a difference for a lot of people. So I started to write, uh, you know, how to intern successfully with a, a amazing ghostwriter, uh, John Selby, who uh, after doing such a great work, I decided he should be a co-author. And uh, that's how it started. And today I've had, you know, close to two dozen uh, interns, very excited about the program uh, last night. All five of the interns uh, starting in just three weeks. Uh, we're on our, our last call prepping up for uh, May 30th. Fantastic. Well, Robert, that's uh, that's very impressive. Again, I'm chatting with the co-founder and CEO of Agile Rainmakers and the author of How to Intern Successfully. Such an important topic. And I really want to dive deeper into this conversation, Robert, because we all know or perhaps have experienced internships that have really just been completely and totally, let's call it a train wreck, um, where it's been unstructured. And you literally have written the book on how to intern successfully. So why is it important to have a routine for a successful internship from both the intern and the and the employer perspective? So I think the days of the unstructured, frustrating internship need to end. Um, and in addition to that, Roughly 40% of internships are unpaid. So there's a lot of work that we need to do around internships that we just haven't done. Now, why is it important? You know, for that intern, that student, they're highly impressionable. This is their first taste of the work world. This is their first taste of your industry or being part of a, whether it's a company, a nonprofit, foundation, whatever you are. And you're going to leave a real 
big impression on them. Think of like the first things that you do in life. You know, those first impressions are tremendous and they inform you about the future that you're going to have in that um, endeavor. So it's hugely Absolutely. important that uh, the students have a, a real positive um, experience and that they learn and they grow and they uh, flourish. And it helps them to decide, all right, is this the industry for me? Is this the company for me? Right? And that is a huge thing for them. It also can be a real confidence builder. You know, a lot of times in college, folks lose their confidence. I read a lot about that in the book. And this is an opportunity to, you know, be in a situation where there's new people, uh, new conversations, new things to do, and their confidence could get elevated with a manager who cares for them. So for the student, I think it's hugely, hugely important um, in terms of their life perspective, work perspective, and where they could go. Now, on the employer side, you know, that uh, is, you know, you're setting an example. You're, you're, you're the role model here. Are you going to be the one that uh, shows up with a structure, with a plan, with check-ins, with real genuine caring and interest in that student slash intern? Uh, are you going to teach them, lead them, mentor them? You know, how, how is that going to feel for you when you do it that way? You're going to feel really good like I do every summer. And, you know, that's that's the opportunity for you. But don't forget, that intern may very well end up in your industry, and you don't know how. Maybe they end up being uh, at your company, or maybe they end up being at a competitor or at, at a regulator or the bank or, or some supplier or vendor that you use. Who knows? They're going to end up in your industry. They're interested. Now, when they do that, do you want them to be talking very highly of you or not? And you're planting seeds during the internship for how that person's going to grow up and talk about you to others for the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years. So it's important that you really think it through and be very, you know, caring and and interested in those students. And this is all in addition to the possibility that they may come and work with you, which I know for a lot of folks, that's what an internship is about. It's you know, a long job interview in effect, but, you know, I think it's, it's more than that. And, and if you approach it that way, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, no question about it. Again, I'm chatting with Robert Curry, the author of How to Intern Successfully. And Robert, I really want to dive uh, just in our remaining couple of minutes and giving some real practical tips and advice, primarily for the intern and for the intern perspective. How do you feel the students that you meet can best prepare for an internship inter interview, as well as for the experience. I know you've been fortunate to hire, like you said, several dozen interns. So what are you looking for in, in the preparation? The best way to prepare, in, in my opinion, is to know yourself. You gotta know what you're interested in. Um, it's very hard to say, okay, this is a great opportunity for you when you don't even know who you are and what you're interested in. So do a lot of work on yourself. You know, and, and the book gives you a lot of exercises. What do you like, what don't you like? You know. You know, who are you? You know, why are you in college? What are you studying? Why are you studying it? What do you want to be in life? You got to really know yourself. That's key. Second thing I say is read independently. You know, imagine two people with the exact same background, same resume, same everything, except one of them has an addendum with 10 books they've read, you know, titles of 10 books they've read in your industry. Well, I guess they're really interested. You know, in those 10 books weren't assigned in, in a classroom. So read independently. It'll show interest and it'll make for really strong conversations in the in, in, uh, interview process. And then the next thing is, is super, you got to be relatable. I mean, today, you know, folks want to know two things, uh, whether, you know, when they're going to hire you. What, could you do the job? And second, do we like you? Well, how do we know if you, we like you if you're not being relatable? So you got to share and connect 
know, do that in the interview. Do that when you start. Uh, do that after you're done, right? You know, afterwards, I, I really propose that when the internship's done, you write handwritten thank you notes to the folks that, uh, you know, either mentored you, managed you, had anything to do with your internship. Maybe it was a family friend that referred you to it. Handwritten thank you notes. They're permanent and they, they show, hey, you took the time to really think it through and appreciate them. So those are just a few of the, the tips. I guess the, the one other one I want to really add, because it's really important, is you got to just take failures in stride. During the interview process, you're going to get a lot of no's. you got to absorb it, let it go. Uh, if you're working as an intern, you're going to make mistakes, absorb it, take the feedback, let it go, keep moving forward. So true. Uh, Robert, I don't want to share all of the secrets because I know they're available in your book, How to Intern Successfully, Leveraging Empowerment, Freedom, and Abundance to Optimize your internship experience. And uh, we'll, uh, we definitely want to get our listeners over to your book where you share a lot of the tips, advice, and information that you've uh, sort of mastered through your years of hiring as well as going through this process yourself. So Robert Corey, thank you so much for your time and expertise. How can we get in touch with you and your team at Agile Rainmakers and of course, pick up a copy of How to Intern Successfully? Uh, you can just go to agilerainmakers.com and there's a tab for books. Uh, this book, How to Intern Successfully, is the first in a series on internships. The next one will be coming out soon. It'll be for the employer, intern management. Uh, and then if you – or you could just go right to Amazon and uh, type in How to Intern Successfully, and you, you can uh, purchase there either on Kindle or paperback. Well, I know we'll be having you back on real soon to uh, continue following your series because this is, you're right, you can't put all of this content and information into just one book. Um, but really, really glad you're talking about this and really glad that we've had you on because this is something that comes up regularly in the feedback from our listeners. And speaking of feedback from listeners, definitely get on my website, shalomkline.com. Get on your favorite podcast app where you can download, rate, subscribe, and review on Get Down to Business. On Again, Spotify, Apple, Google, your favorite podcast app. Get on my website, shalomkline.com. Check out our sponsors, healthplanchicago.com, or give them a call, 630-863-3477. A quick break on Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show. All about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm joined by Evan Kramer, who began his career as a CPA with PricewaterhouseCoopers and has over 25 years of experience managing private equity and venture-backed companies focusing on digital transformation, marketing, and technology. Um, Evan, you are the master at Motion Point Translation Beyond Words. Evan Kramer, welcome to Get Down to Business. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, you, you summed it up pretty quickly, but been involved with uh, a dozen different companies over the past 25 years, um, you know, starting in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s with uh, uh, online automotive, um, helping launch rollout autotrader.com and um, online real estate companies after that and uh, did an online vacation rental company and uh, lived in Atlanta for 18 years, Philadelphia for seven years. I'm in Detroit now, uh, three years in Detroit. Uh, it's my third time uh, as a private equity-backed CEO. Um, my first one was a education technology company called Nofully, um, which is very successful right now. Um, most recently was White Glove um, out of Detroit and now Motion Point out of South Florida. Uh, so real happy to be here. Fantastic, Evan. This is really, really cool. Um, really timely. Just earlier in the, in the show, we had a conversation about um, AI 
And I know that there's a lot of things that we can talk about as it relates to uh, technology uh, driven organizations, but let's talk about motion point. Again, your motto is translation beyond words. Let's talk about what you and your company do uh, does. And, and let's talk about some of the trends that you're seeing in translation um, based uh, companies. Yeah. Wow. AI is uh, very disruptive right now in my category. So what we do is we do website translation uh, for uh, two types of uh, buyer personas. One would be a, a global uh, marketing company, uh, maybe a, a retailer that's in 40 different markets and 30 different languages, um, or potentially domestic companies here in the U.S. that need to support French Canadian or Spanish. So uh, we manage um, their business on our tech platform, uh, fully concierge, so continuous monitoring of content. We do the translation automatically. Um, we work with linguists. We, we work to make sure that all functionality is resolved and the sites are working. So that is what we do um, now where AI is coming in is truly disrupting um, the traditional workflow of translation, where um, even up to six months ago, 90% of translations were sent directly to linguists for translation. Now, uh, machine translation and even AI uh, can take it a lot further. Um, Google Translate, which came out in 2016, um, if you want to talk about ratings of score, I would say they rate about a, a 2 out of 10 uh, in terms of quality. Um, and so now when you've got AI and you can get uh, closer to 3, 4, and 5 out of 10, uh, it makes the game a lot different. So where AI is coming in is allowing buyers of translation to buy based on quality, um, different levels of quality. So no longer being binary selecting, I want human quality or machine quality. It's how good of the quality do you want? And so AI and, and even uh, neural machine training can get you a lot further the way there. And so what we're going to start seeing in the future is um, more buying based on the level of quality and then using um, quality estimation to determine whether you need to send it to a linguist or whether it's good enough, right? So so that's wow. really what's happening. A lot of transformation, a lot of efficiencies, and um, it's all happening in real time. Indeed. I'm chatting with Evan Kramer, who has quite destroyed career in, uh, in finance, but then uh, certainly in... Uh, uh, technology and uh, technology-based companies and uh, now uh, has started up a very successful motion point. Uh, and we've been chatting about uh, the disruption in the, uh, in the world of, uh, of, of uh, translation uh, and, and uh, tech companies, translation industry. Uh, but Evan, I, in our remaining minute or so, I'm, I'm really curious to understand how you and your company differentiate yourself from your competitors. Obviously, you've talked about the the, uh, the, 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 uh, the companies like Google Translate and so on, but what is the value that you provide to our listeners and what do companies need to know about you and Motion Point? Yeah, I think there's two main differentiators. Uh, one is we're a concierge managed translation service. So for large companies that don't want to manage translation in-house or staff their resources, we do it all for them. Uh, and our platform is probably the, uh, the best you know, technology platform um, on the market uh, to do it. And so, you know, that is one main value we put in. Um, the second value is that uh, the quality um, that we that we provide to our customers, um, translation on websites is not easy. There's front-end frameworks that create a lot of complexities when it comes to identifying different content within JavaScript or breaking functionality when you get it back on the site. 
we take care of all that. We've um, developed um, expert ways of parsing that and, and QAing that. Um, and so those are a lot of the differentiations. The future differentiations and the ones that are currently happening is a lot of innovation we're doing around normal machine training and AI to make your uh, translation more cost effective. So those are the top three. Absolutely. Evan, um, I wish we could talk more, but I know we're going to have you back on real soon, but this uh, you've shared a lot with us. How can we get in touch with you and your team at MotionPoint? Sure. Uh, anyone that wants to get in touch with me, I'm very much on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter at Kramer Cool, uh, as well as www.motionpoint.com. Um, love to see you check it out. We just launched Adaptive Translation. The press release went out last week. Um, so we're going to wrap all this together with AI and what we're doing. You can find out there. Fantastic. Evan Kramer, thanks so much for joining us. That's a wrap. Um, we'll be right back here on the show. That's Molly Beast Jobs and Entrepreneurship in just a moment. At touch that guy. You can always get on my website, shallowfind.com. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show on small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I am so excited. I'm joined by Nancy Smith, an attorney licensed practice in Vermont and New York. She's the chair of the Collaborative Divorce Section of the Vermont Bar Association, a leader in her collaborative divorce practice group, and a member of the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals. She frequently writes and talks about divorce, family law ethics, and collaborative divorce practices. And she is the author of Untangling Your Marriage, a guide to collaborative divorce, which came out just a few months ago. Nancy Smith, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Nancy, I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. Nobody gets into this really, really specialized line of work without a story behind it. You are very passionate and a subject matter expert. Nancy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. Obviously, when I was a young girl growing up in the streets in Detroit, I didn't think I would become a divorce lawyer. I thought I'd be a lawyer, but I didn't think divorce would be my area. Uh, That came later in law school, and I worked in a legal clinic and worked on a domestic violence case. And I realized that custody issues are constitutional issues. Uh, I liked being in court. I wanted to be an advocate for people who felt that they didn't have a voice for themselves. And I really appreciated um, the bedrock of democracy in the judiciary and the role that it uh, serves. So that's how I got into it. Um, Mostly also because I stayed in Vermont and there weren't any uh, environmental jobs at the time because I got my degree in environmental law as well. So I ended up at a general practice firm and, uh, and really just enjoyed doing the family like the family law work. Uh, It's important work and not everybody's suited to it. And and apparently I am. Sounds like it. So again, I'm chatting with Nancy Smith, uh, an expert on uh, collaborative uh, divorce, which we're going to talk a little bit more about in just a moment, but let's talk about divorce. Um, especially for entrepreneurs tuning in, business owners. I wanna, I'm curious, does divorce impact performance at work? And tell us a little bit more about that and, how, and, and who are the players, the stakeholders in a company that might be involved? Great. Um, yes, definitely uh, divorce impacts everybody, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're a W-2 wage uh, earner or whether you're the CEO. It is an emotional process. Uh, I like to think of divorce as 80% emotional, 10% legal, 10% financial. And until you get your head on straight and work and manage your deep emotions uh, regarding all the losses that a divorce represents, it's hard to think straight. So therefore it's hard to do your job. Um, there's very limited um, empirical research on the cost to employers uh, of a single divorce, but there has been some work done by a woman named uh, Rosemary Frank out of uh, Tennessee. And she did a, an analysis where basically she identified that the 
divorce of a single employee making about 60000 a year costs about $85,000, $86,000 in lost productivity. So it's not just the person going through the divorce who has to take time off perhaps to go to court. Um, it impacts the coworkers who maybe have to pick up the slack because somebody's head is not in the game. Um, it includes absenteeism, you know, presenteeism, being present on the job, but not really having um, your, your mind and energy focused on the task at hand. Um, so it definitely, and it obviously it impacts morale um, because divorce can often be a, a, an isolating and slightly depressing uh, experience if you are not given the correct support. So indeed, it's definitely divorce impacting not only the individual, um, but also coworkers and supervisors. And again, for business owners, but like you said, for uh, for W-2 employees, this is definitely something that uh, divorce is definitely going to, uh, if it affects one, it's going to affect all. And $85,000, wow, that's a fascinating statistic. So let's talk about that environment of an organization. Some companies have an HR section or an HR professional, or sometimes even outsource it to an HR uh, PEO or something like that. So in what ways can HR or even coworkers, even your colleagues help a divorcing colleague? Right. I think that a lot of times HR likes to think that, oh, we don't really deal with this. We have an EAP to, to handle divorces, which is an option uh, for some people. However, most EAPs don't know about collaborative divorce. So I think as a frontline person in a company dealing with an employee who you've come to learn is getting divorced, I think a way that you could be supportive is to remind them, and if you can, if the company can offer it as a benefit, give them a free, pay for their consultation with a collaborative divorce attorney in the area so that they can truly understand what their options are and what they're getting into. And also be aware of the process of a collaborative divorce, which will basically be designed in a way that the employee can just kind of rest for a moment. They can ease off of their own anxiety about what this is going to cost them, how their lives are going to be ruined, and instead get a new frame of reference for this is this being an opportunity for personal growth and empowerment and transformational change. And the mindset really does matter. And the mindset of an employee, you want your employees to feel healthy. It's a well-being kind of exercise. And so as an HR person, you want to educate yourself about what is collaborative divorce? Why, how is it different than mediation? How is it different than litigation? And then be a resource for your employee. And ideally, if you could, you know, spot the, the uh, consultation fee, let your employees um, go talk to a collaborative divorce attorney so that they can get the, the full uh, range of options for them. Absolutely. I'm checking with Nancy Smith, the author of Untangling Your Marriage, A Guide to Collaborative Divorce. And uh, Nancy, we're going to cut to a break in just a moment and then continue our conversation. But Nancy, um, what was the process of just writing this book like? Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about that. Well, thanks. It was fun. Um, I just knew that I needed to do something. And um, rather than watching the news, which was starting to depress me a few years ago, I just would take an hour or two every night and just start writing what I knew. And it's, you know, it's a strange niche to, to have this as a, um, as you said, a subject matter expertise, but this is what I know. This is what I've been doing for 30 years. And I really wanted the public to understand what collaborative divorce was. And um, I did that. And so I feel, I feel good about that. I, I want to make a positive impact on the world. And this is how it came out. 
Fantastic. Well, we're really glad that you did and you're sharing your expertise with our listeners and with, of course, the world, um, which I know everybody can find more about your book, Untangling Your Marriage, A Guide to Collaborative Divorce, of course, on Amazon. The book came out a few months ago. And of course, on your website, nancysmithlaw.com, nancy, N-I-N-C-I, smithlaw.com. We'll be right back and get down to business. More conversation with Nancy Smith on your return. Don't touch that. Hey, welcome back to Get Out to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We are rocking and rolling, having a great conversation with Nancy Smith, who's an attorney licensed practice in Vermont and New York, lots of titles, and she is a leader in collaborative divorce, which we have been talking about. So let's dive right into that, Nancy. Uh, I know you've written the book, quite literally, Untangling Your Marriage, a Guide to Collaborative Divorce. Um, what... How does a collaborative divorce support the person getting divorced as well as their work colleagues? We've been talking a little bit about this for the past few minutes. Sure. So collaborative divorce is one of four ways to get divorced. There's really only four ways to get divorced. One is you can do it yourself. We call that a kitchen table divorce. You can get your forms off uh, the, inter- the internet from your local jurisdiction, wherever it is, whatever state you're in. Um, there's mediation, which we all know about now. Um, it's a neutral person who can be skilled in conflict resolution. So if you've got a conflict and you feel like you're on equal bargaining power with your spouse and you know all of the same information and data um, and you just need help having a difficult conversation, a mediator is a great way to go. You can do mediation with lawyers or without lawyers. And then you move up the, the you know, you move up the, um, the option list and you end up at collaborative divorce and collaborative divorce is like mediation on steroids. And what that means is that it's a private, discreet, uh, out of court settlement negotiation process. It's fully legal. It's um, quite radical in that it really puts the power into the clients uh, who can then sit back and relax and know that they have a team, an interdisciplinary team of professionals creating a container, a safe container so that they can work through the intense emotions of the divorce, understand what their financial reality looks like, and then ultimately make good decisions about their future financial security, as well as their relationships with each other, with their children, with the extended family, with the friends and the community. So it really is a, um, it's a one-step shop where you get all of your needs met in a divorce process, which you're going to have to deal with. You're going to need to deal with your, the strong emotions. You're going to need to deal with the money and you're going to need to deal with the legal process of how do you actually do it and how do we reach a resolution? So the collaborative, yeah. So that's the collaborative divorce model. And then of course, everybody knows litigation and that's kind of, you know, everybody's worst nightmare. Indeed. So uh, again, I've been chatting with Nancy Smith, um, an attorney who has written the book, Untangling Your Marriage, A Guide to Collaborative Divorce. Um, And my takeaways from this conversation is that employee stress and employer loss can be mitigated by helping employees uh, that are dealing with with the divorce process. And again, collaborative divorce is a voluntary out-of-court settlement process that's less stressful. So Nancy, it's really, really fascinating. And you've talked about writing the book. Um, but what are some of the things that uh, listeners can expect if they pick up a copy of this read? It's really less of a book and more of a guide. Uh, just tell us a little bit of the key takeaways. Sure. So basically, it, it it's a guide for how to actually behave like a, a decent human being that you know that you are. Even when you are feeling your worst, it's, a, it's an invitation to actually show up at the table as your best self. And that requires a lot of insight. It's going to require mental health um, support. It's going to require that you let go of the negative narrative and your anger towards your spouse. It really is an opportunity to, to step into this next stage of your life, whether or not you are 
the one asking for the divorce or whether you're on the receiving end. And so it's really a guide for living uh, through a divorce, regardless of which process you choose. Um, clearly, it, it tells you all about a collaborative divorce. But if that's not your choice, that's OK. But you can still behave uh, with integrity and decency and mutual respect and empathy and some compassion for yourself awesome. and for those around you. Well, Nancy, I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you and again, pick up a copy of the book. What's the best way to, uh, to do both? Great. Thanks. Yeah. You can just visit me at my website, Nancy at Nancy, or you can email me Nancy at Nancy or you can go on the website, Nancy or go on Amazon and get the book. Untangling Your Marriage, A Guide to Collaborative Divorce. And that's a wrap for us here on the show. All about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We've had a great discussion with so many thought leaders, entrepreneurs, business owners, and uh, authors that are uh, sharing their expertise with our listeners each and every week for the past 10 plus years. As always, get on my website, shalomkline.com. Get on your favorite podcast app. Um, just search for Get Down to Business and make sure you leave a comment, rate, review, and share. It makes it easier for others to find out about this program. In the meantime, check out our sponsors, Tom Mirabali from HealthPlanChicago.com. We're giving a call, 630-863-3477. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on 8560 Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.